Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Well, my name is Stephen Seeley, and I have the uh, privilege of serving as the worship arts deacon here at the Door Church. Uh, my wife uh, serves faithfully as a Little Door check-in person on that team. Uh, we've been covenant members here at the Door for a little over eight years, and we're just so thankful for a place that we can serve and be involved in. Um, again, this morning, we're going to be in Romans 9, chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Stephen. Um, good morning. My name is Darren Smith. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a non-staff elder and a member of the preaching and teaching team. We are really excited that you're here today. As you could tell, um, we are in the middle of a sermon series on, on the book of Romans. And I don't think it's um, even a little exaggeration to say that the book of Romans is the most influential letter that has ever been written um, in man and mankind's history. It's the most powerful message ever put into our hands. A little bit of review. Um, you'll recall that the Apostle Paul had never been to Rome, but he wrote a letter to them around AD 57, and he was writing to um, two distinct groups within the church. Um, this is only two and a half decades after uh, Christ's resurrection, and so um, the, the Christianity is in its infancy, and um, there are Two groups, there are the Jews, and, and there you could say those who were aware of the one true God, and then there were the Gentiles, and you would say they were not aware of the one true God. And this is a significant backdrop for the discussion of the book of Romans, because it really plays into a lot of his arguments and what he's talking about. And so in the book of Romans, um, the Apostle Paul is very clear, um, his overall um, point of Romans is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of Jesus that is given to us by faith alone. And you can find that in Romans 1, 16 and 17. But he is um, systematically, throughout the book of Romans, going to reveal the righteousness of God. But he knows that there are objections that are going to be raised by both those who knew of the one true God and those who didn't know of the one true God. And so he is going to tear down all of those objections He's going to break them down um, almost in a legal uh, way. And so first in Romans 1, he, he deals with blatant, egregious, idolatrous sin. Those are really kind of pointed at those who would not 
have known about God. Um, and just as they start to cheer, the Jews might start to cheer and say, that's right, Paul, um, they need to change their lives. He turns his attention in chapter 2, and he starts to deal with what I would call blatant, egregious, self-righteous sin and God's coming wrath from that. So really, Romans 2 through where we're at today is dealing with that. And one of the things I think we have to remember is that the Apostle Paul is upending not only religious constructs, but he's upending their culture, the way that they saw themselves, the way that they got value in the community and from society. And what the Apostle Paul is attacking Jewish superiority. He's attacking this idea that because of who they were, their heritage or their background, that they had a greater standing in God's eyes. And what he's saying here is, you are all equal in God's eyes. So for the purpose of our discussion today, I think it's very fair when you hear uh, the term the Jew or those who know of God, I would, I would encourage us to put ourselves in those shoes. I think it's not unfair to say it's just like those of us who are cultural Christians, those of us who were raised with Christianity on our tongues and in our hearts, those of us who would say we know a lot about God, we've been to church, my parents always took me, we were there every time the doors opened, you know all the phrases. I would encourage you to set in the seat of those to whom he is preaching today. And so um, when he does this, he is going to, to make a final argument against these self-righteous Jews. And what he does in this passage is he quotes several scriptures. He quotes from Psalms um, and Isaiah, and he's going to reason with them. And what he's really saying to them, and, and by the way, you have to understand, they would know those scriptures, right? When we read them, we have to cross-reference them and see what he's talking about. They would just know. As, he, as he's quoting these scriptures, it's like an inside joke that they would get. They would know. And what he's really saying to them is all these scriptures that you've read and heard about all your life, it's you, you are the one it's talking about. And he's going to reveal that uh, here in, in Romans uh, 3. So a couple of months ago, my wife and I uh, got our boys enrolled in uh, jujitsu classes up in Arlington, and, or I'm sorry, Argyle. And um, it's, been, it's been awesome. It's been a, a, a great experience. I don't know anything... Um, about uh, jujitsu, other than don't mess with people with cauliflower ears. Um, that's all I know. Um, but it's, it's awesome. Um, and we go up there, and there's a guy named uh, Paul. You call him Professor Paul is what they call him. Um, and it's not lost on me that I'm quoting Professor Paul as we look at the, the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul. Um, there's a lot of Pauls uh, running around. If you don't know anything about jujitsu, like I really don't, it's uh, a self-defense martial art, it's a combat sport, um, but it's based on grappling and ground fighting. And, and essentially what you're trying to do is to pull your opponent to the ground, get a dominant position, force submission through locks and chokeholds to where um, the person is completely defenseless. And you could um, either give them uh, really bad bodily harm or they tap out. That's where the term tap out comes from, right? And so um, one of the very first things that they teach these kids is to learn to tap out, to learn um, when you've been defeated, learn um, when to give up. Otherwise, someone will break your arm. That's what will happen. They may not do it in the beginning um, homeschool classes that we go to, but on down the road, 
someone's going to break your arm and you're going to learn from that lesson. And the time that I went up there, there was a, a, a boy who was new, he was little, and he was fierce. He was, he was awesome. Um, but he had it in his head that he was never going to tap out. And so he refused to tap out. And everyone's yelling, hey, tap out. And he's in an arm bar and he's in all these other things. Um, and, and what the professor is telling these boys over and over again, and girls, he says, um, everyone loses. In jiu-jitsu, everyone loses. And losing is learning. That's how you learn jiu-jitsu is you lose. You realize the consequences of the bad mistakes that you've done. And, and denying that and not tapping out only means that that other person has let you go. It doesn't mean um, that you won. You've actually, you've lost. And I thought of that when I looked at this passage. I thought of, of, of the Apostle Paul um, and his, his jujitsu that he's going through. He is, he's taken us down this road and he's eliminated every defense that we have, every escape. He is literally beating us into submission. And he's telling us it's time for us to give up. We have nothing left to say. And here is his thesis from this passage. Regardless of your heritage or background, no one is righteous before God. You and I commit evil deeds because we don't seek God. And you have no defense. Your only hope is Jesus Christ. And so in our sermon today, there's three things that we want to cover real quickly from this passage. The first thing is I want to look at um, our condition. And this applies to every person um, who has ever walked on the earth. The condition of mankind as it relates to the perfect God. Number two, based on our condition is our behavior. So if we are a certain way, then there are certain ways that we act. So our condition, behavior and that's kind of a, a sad story, by the way, but it leads us to our third point, point, and that is our hope. What is our only hope? So we'll look at those three things today. The first thing that I really want to examine um, is, is this idea of the condition of, of humans and, and, and the state that we're in. That starts in cha uh, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, are we any better off? He's talking about the Jews. He says, no, not at all, for we have already charged. Again, <laughs> I've wrestled you to the ground. <laughs> I've, I've said this over and over and over again. I've, I've got you in this hold. I've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, if you're taking notes and you want to go read where these are quoted, it's Psalm 14, 1-3 and Psalm 53 one through three. Again, this would speak directly to the heart of the Jewish people and to those who are self-righteous. This is a general description of them and mankind. And here's the point. I think the Apostle Paul understands, and this is why he keeps reiterating this over and over again. He says, no person will seek salvation until he fears God's wrath and God's judgment. You see, you must have a threat. You have to have something happening in order for you to have a rescue. And this is the essential first part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this before. We don't like this. We do not like this part of it. Just like that little boy who doesn't like to admit that he's been submitted, 
or that somebody else might be a little bit better than him at that time, we don't like to admit it. We don't like that doctrine. And so what you do and what I do is we try to work around God's wrath by our own good deeds. We, we tell ourselves stories. And the truth is, if you think anything else will save you besides Jesus, if you don't understand this condition that you're in, you will try it. You'll try anything because you have to fully submit and surrender to Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's taking away the crutch. He's taking away that excuse that you think you have in your mind. So I want to ask you this question today. Are you tired of this lesson? Those of you who've been here a lot. Um, if you've been tracking with us, this has been a predominant theme for the last five or six lessons on the book of Romans. I said I over here last week as, as um, Scott talked about this idea that no one is righteous, and I just thought how heavy it is. I thought, oh, man, here we go again, and I'm going to hammer us all next week again with this, with this concept that no one is, is righteous, and are we tired of it yet? And I, I, what, I, what I came up with was this. I think the word of the Lord is coming to us. He's got, he's got a word for you, and he's got a word for me. Yes, you should be tired of it. You should be weary. You should be heavy laden. You should be burdened. You should be ready for the next message because this is a lot. The Spirit is telling you today to tap out, to stop whatever you've got in your mind that thinks that you're good let it go. The Apostle Paul doesn't leave it there. He goes on to say, no one understands or seeks God. And indeed, what I would say about that is that this is the cause of our trouble. You know, we live in a world um, where we're all uh, experts, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that in air quotes, we're all experts um, on a lot of different things that we really know absolutely nothing about, Right? So um, this is one example. Um, you, could, you could have a thousand of them. It could go into politics. It could go into science and, and everything. Um, I, I, don't, so I don't really like soccer, okay? Um, it's just I wasn't exposed to it as a kid. I don't get it. I don't, I don't trust anything that can end in a tie. I just hate it, right? And so, um, but I admit that it's a beautiful game. Um, it's unbelievably beautiful if you know what you're talking about. So every four years, the World Cup happens, right? So this year, I decided I'm going to watch it. And I, I actually kind of fell in love with it. I thought it was so beautiful. And that's why they call it the beautiful game. It was awesome. It was great. It didn't take me five minutes. And I'm not arguing whether or not Lionel Messi is the greatest player to ever play. And I've got stats. I've got reasons, man. And the algorithm on my social media pages are now feeding me up all these videos of him. I'm watching soccer all the time now. And the truth of the matter is, I don't know anything about it. I can't explain it to you. Um, I don't understand the offense. I don't understand defense. But when you watch the people in Argentina, they get it, right? They understand it. And what I would say to you today is when it comes to seeking God, um, we're like me. No one is wise. No one has possession of the living God. This is the essence of biblical teaching on sin. This point that you don't know what you're doing and you need a savior. And there's two folds to this, right? The first thing is you don't know God. You don't know about him and his nature. But the second thing is you don't know yourself. <laughs> That's the funny thing about it, is that you think no one knows you like yourself, but you don't. 
You don't know what will make you happy. You don't know what will bring you joy. You don't know how to fix your problems. I overheard a conversation this week. A guy was standing out. He was talking to somebody at a cubicle, and he said, so what helps self-help books are you reading? And he started listing them off, and I was like, don't read those books. Read the book of Romans. That's the answer, right? You don't know the way to do it. But you and I are so focused on ourselves, on looking sophisticated, on looking cool, on, on doing killer TikTok videos or whatever that looks like, and proving the, um, to people that we, we have this appearance of knowledge. I've actually gotten into arguments about things I know nothing about. And the sad thing is, I think that's true of God. Ephesians 4 verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Moving quickly, he says, no one seeks after God. And that's a desire to know him. You don't seek after God. So my question is, are you like, hey, Paul, that's, that's going a little bit too far here. Um, maybe, you know, maybe ease up a little bit. Um, you're coming in hot on me. And is it true that no one um, ever seeks God? Is that absolutely true? Well, I think you have to understand what it means to seek God. It's more than asking for him to help you or to bless you or just to some um, acknowledgement of who he is. It's trying to find him and to get into his presence. It's worship. It's prayer. It's study, it's dedication, it's discipline, it's hard. And I think this teaching convicts Christians. And the truth is, if at any time you feel like you are seeking God, it's because He first sought you and came to you. He doesn't stop there, but wait, there's more. If you order now, you are also worthless, right? He keeps going, man. He's not letting you out of this hold. You're worthless. You're of no value. Um, what he's talking about here is the same connotation of milk that's gone sour. You know, there's a lot of things you can repurpose. Joanna Gaines can repurpose an old farmhouse, right? And, and make it a table and it's beautiful and we love it, right? But you can't repurpose sour milk. There's nothing you can do with sour milk. You can't give it to animals. You just have to pour it out. It's worthless. Throw it down the drain. And these are the people who think they do good, that they do not need the death of Jesus. And you've heard us say this before. I love this. There's two ways to run from Christ. Being very bad and being very good. These are the people who think they are their own Savior. And so as I think about this, I think about this thing called um, the Giving Pledge. Has anybody ever heard of that, the Giving Pledge? Okay. A bunch of billionaires um, who have gotten together and they've signed a pledge that in their lifetime or immediately following their death, the majority of their wealth is going to transfer to, to charity or good causes. In other words, they're not going to give $100 billion to their kids. Um, I think their kids will still be okay, but um, they're, they're, they've, they've pledged to do that and to give it away. And on the surface, this feels pretty good, right? But as you dig down into it, and I don't want to judge them, but as you dig down into it, it feels pretty humanistic. It feels like you're building up your legacy, that you're doing a good thing and you're encouraging other people by your own good works, right? So um, the reason I'm bringing this up is that uh, there was a, a pretty prominent man uh, who died a couple of years ago who signed this pledge. 
and, and I want to be gracious and fair. I don't know his heart. I don't know his position with, um, with the Lord. And so I'll say that, and I don't want to go too hard on that. Um, but what I do want to read to you is something that he wrote just a couple weeks before he died. So this is his, his farewell letter. This is the letter that is going to be read upon my desk. So if you're reading this, I'm not here, right? One of those letters. And so we can only see what he said. And this is what he said. He ended. This is his missive to the world, right? This is his last, last words that he's ever going to share. He said, over the years, my staff got used to hearing me in a meeting or on the phone asking, what do you got? That's probably what my maker is asking me about now. Here's my best answer. I left an undying love for America and the hope it presents for all. I left a passion for entrepreneurship and the promise it sustains. I left the belief that future generations can and will do better than my own. Thank you. It's time we all moved on. <laughs> when I read that, I was profoundly sad. I was profoundly sad at that hot mess of good works. When I stand before my maker, um, when he looks at me, I don't know, first off, that I've got anything to say. I might just start singing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Maybe that's it. I don't know. The truth of the matter is, it's not enough. What he did, all those things, what he said, it's not enough. And I sure hope he had a faith in Jesus Christ, and I sure hope that was his real answer. It's not enough. Apart from the grace of God and his goodness, all of our righteousness is as of filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have become like one who is unclean, and all our unrighteous deeds are like polluted garments. When you view your life, do you see yourself as basically good with some sins that need to be cleaned up? Or do you understand your condition that you are completely sinful and without God until He comes to you? So this moves us from our condition to our behavior. Quickly here in Romans 13.3, he says their throat, so because of the condition that they're in, their throat is an open grave and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so he turns and he says, your throat is like an open grave. You know, what we say, the words that come up from us is an indication of our condition. The words that you say is an expression of the sin or the um, righteousness in your heart. And he says here that tongues are smooth. They, 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 um, they seem soothing um, but they spread falsehoods and lies. And indeed, not only that, but there's venom in their words. Psalm 140. In other words, it's poison. You know, you have to be really careful about what you listen to and in the, in the, in the people that you let influence you, right? So there's a lot of influencers and authors and, and people who are quasi-Christians and things, right? And so you read their books and you're like, yeah, on the surface, that's pretty good, but it's devoid of the gospel. And I would, I would tell you that so many times it's, it's poisonous. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. It's poison. In James 3, 
takes this even further. In James 3, he says, uh, verse 4, look at the ships also. They, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Do you know in office settings, in church settings, in family settings, how if there's one detractor, just one detractor who comes in and just starts laying down um, dissent and lies, do you know how, how much that can explode and, and what that causes? If you're around somebody who's discontent, it's going to make you feel discontent. And he's saying that here. He's saying all of you are like that, right? Our, worlds are, our words are full of curses and bitterness. He's quoting Psalms 10 says that. The tongue is a litmus test for your heart and how you talk shows what, what's going on in your mind. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a, uh, a team's call and um, uh, one of my good friends at work, a confidant, somebody I talk to all the time, well, said, um, well, Darren is just the cranky one in the group. I was like, okay, um, I'll show you cranky. Get off my lawn, right? Uh, no, but in all seriousness, it kind of hit me hard. And, and I, you know, um, feedback is a gift. And so um, I thought a lot about it. I went home, I talked to Audrey about it. And I was like, yeah, someone at work said I was, and she was like, cranky? And I was like, yeah, she said that lovingly. She really did, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a blessing. And I thought, man, what, what is going on in my heart? Um, and, and, and if I'm being honest and truthful, there's, there's, there's war going on in there. And it, it comes down to the fact that I, I'm just not finding joy like I should. Uh, and then it comes down to the fact that I'm not seeing Christ rightly. And it's wicked and it's sinful. It's what Paul's talking about. It happens to, to all of us. And it, it affects who we are. We cause destruction, man. This just, the hits keep coming, guys. Proverbs 1, Isaiah 59, we're causing destruction. We shed blood and destruction. And here's the thing, you're not a good person. You know, sometimes I'll catch myself saying that. Oh, he's a good guy. No, he's not. He's a terrible person. You're a terrible person, and I'm a terrible person. I'll say this, and I'll move on. I think if you don't, don't accept the description of yourself, um, I'm not sure you're a Christian statement. But um, if you don't accept that statement of yourself, uh, you may have not fully trusted in Christ. Psalm 36, there's no fear of God in their eyes. This is the explanation of everything. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, this isn't towering in the corner or, or cowering in the corner. This is this is a reverent fear as laid out in, in Hebrews 12, 28. He says, therefore, let us be grateful receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The point is this. I think um, in the relationship between man and God, mankind um, all the way down to you and I have taken the relationship with him lightly. We do not understand that He is a consuming fire. And I think if we did, if we truly understood it, it would change the way that we live. He's gracious. He's loving. But He is also to be respected and feared. 
And I think it's because we don't fear him that we have these destructive lives. We go around acting like we are God. And so my question for us today is, do you see the mess of your life apart from the grace of God? Or do you tell yourself a story over and over again that you're okay, that everything that's happening is because of other people? Or do you see yourself rightly in that? Okay, so let's, let's move on to a little bit more cheery topic, right? Let's look at the hope that we have. We have our condition, our behavior, and now comes this idea of hope. Verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So really what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's putting a bow on this. He's, he's wrapping it up. He's going back to Romans 1.18 that says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So that's kind of the, the cornerstone, and now he's just laying out this argument and telling us all these truths. And I love what he says here. He says that every mouth is stopped. And this is the good news. The good news is it's the end of yourself, and that's, that's the beginning of hope. So um, in the ancient world, in Paul's time, if you were on trial um, and you were giving a defense of yourself when you were finished, you would, you would literally put your hand over your mouth. And that would be a symbol that you rest your case. Today, we say that, right? We say, Your Honor, we rest, we rest our case. And so um, essentially, he's putting that over, over our mouths. But there was also another common practice that would happen um, in court. Um, if, if people got out of hand, court officials would strike the prisoner to, to slap their mouth and to stop them. It's, um, it's kind of the modern day, you know, hush your mouth type thing, right? Except with, with violence. And this happened um, a couple of times in scriptures. It happened to our Savior in John 18 when he's on trial and he's struck. Um, and then it happened to Paul himself in Acts the 23rd chapter um, when he's being tried and, and, um, and he is struck. And, and basically the point here, and this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying, um, you have nothing else to say. <laughs> Stop. Stop. The world will be held accountable. And he's demonstrated um, our state. He's demonstrated our evil deeds. And he's doing this not just to prove how rotten we are, we are rotten. We are terrible. But it's more than that. It's that you're liable and that you're answerable. You know, when my, when my boys break something, um, and notice I said when, when they break something, I talk to them about it, right? Maybe I get a little heated. And I'm like, man, you shouldn't do that. Don't break stuff. Money doesn't grow on trees and all those things, right? And, and they, they get it and they're sorry for it, but they're not truly accountable for it. I am. And one day they will be, right? So when you feel that weight, when all of a sudden you have to, to pay for that thing that you broke, you start to, to actually feel that. And the Apostle Paul doesn't want us just to give lip service of, I'm sorry, I'm going to accept it. No, he wants you to set in this accountability that you're liable to God. And his point is this, that the whole world is guilty before God. So my question to you 
Is there something that you are hoping will save you other than Jesus? Are you still refusing? Are you still talking? Are you still giving a defense for who you are? And the hope is that you'll stop. The only hope is that you stop talking and start listening to Christ. And so in conclusion, we'll just say this. Paul wants to tear down the things that are keeping you and me from seeing the gospel. Again, his point Regardless of your heritage or background, no one is righteous before God. You and I commit evil deeds because we don't seek Him. We have no defense. Your only hope is Jesus. And so Jesus Christ is beautiful on His own, but when you compare Him uh, to us, He's much more beautiful even, right? Even still, when you see that comparison. If you don't get this, this essential part of the gospel, you won't be ready for justification. Romans 3.23 is coming, guys. It's three verses away. You have to get this to understand it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Have you stopped? Have you been silenced? Are you done arguing? Are you tired of this lesson? Because it's time for you to tap out. Let us pray. God, um, we come to you today in reverent awe, fear. We bow before your majesty. We, um, we admit that when we, um, when we look at you, we don't always see you rightly. And, and the sin in our hearts and in our lives cloud the way that we, we see you and that we know you. And, and so, Lord, today I pray that you would um, tear down those idols in our lives that keep us from seeing you, that you would um, send your Spirit to us, help us to see ourselves as we should be. Lord, our condition is hopeless. Uh, we are with the, without defense. We have nothing left to say. And as we stand before you, we know that um, our deeds and our actions um, are terrible and rotten and horrible. And when we stand before you, the only thing that we have is the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And so we thank you for that today, Lord. We pray that um, we would be reminded of that truth and that peace and that understanding and that love. For those who have never put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that they would, that they would see that, that you would come to them and seek them. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You are our only hope. You are our hero. We praise you and we love you. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray.